I'm Jill. And I'm Julie. And we are the organizers of Skirts in the Dirt. And we listen to Mountain Bike Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Pro Gold. Uh, turn down for what? And Pro Gold again. Uh, tonight we have a full show. Uh, we have been talking just now about um, some proprietary parts that Specialized is doing with rear hubs and road bikes and hangers and whatnot. Um, and we also have a full list of stuff. Do you guys want to start with cyclocross bikes, or do you want to... Uh, Matt, did you have a plan? Uh, kind of. Uh, let me get over here with my little glass of chocolate milk, and we can get going. <laughs> um, so, first and foremost, this show would not be possible without Pro Gold. Um, so, what we, as the crew from Just Riding Along, are asking you to do is... Go to your local bike shop and ask them to stock Pro Gold products in their shop. Um, you should have it there, or they should have it there for you to buy whenever you want. Um, you should be able to walk in and just get it, and all their stuff works really well. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch in the show, but go to your local bike store and ask them. Um, your local bike store is kind of like politicians. They're, they will do what their constituents ask, um, unless the people patting their pockets say differently. Um, but you can always try, and you can tell them how much you like the stuff. Tell them that Bruce from Pro Gold is awesome, and that if they don't start stocking their stuff, Bruce is going to come to their shop, and he is going to not leave until they start stocking it. Um, <laughs> and Bruce actually said that he said he gave me their um, their their new like marketing motto. He said, let me find it in this, uh, challenge and change is the new slogan for the LBS. I don't, I don't know. But you I... have to say, you have to say it, anytime you say challenge and change, you have to say it very dramatically as, as if you were Bruce Dickman, because that's the only way he talks is dramatically. <laughs> so walk into your bike shop and say that just like that, and demand Pro Gold products. Um, but most of them, I think, are available through your shop's major distributor um, quality bike parts. Uh, the helmet deodorizer and cleaner works really well. Um, you can actually use a lot of their stuff, not only as it says on the label or what it's made for, but it, it works like getting grease out of clothes. The degreaser wash works really well. I've used it to get... Um, chain grease out of white socks very successfully um, and I have used the helmet cleaner on my shoes and in my shoes um, I just spray them and let them sit and then kind of like brush them off a little bit and then hose them off and it works real well for getting your shoes white or yellow or whatever color they are you can also use it like Axe body spray before going to the club well yeah I mean that's understood So what's uh, Matt's taking a picture of? I was just about to post a picture of you with your chocolate milk, looking a little bit stressed out. Well, that's how it goes. Um, first and foremost, there's lots of stuff on the internet about this right now, 
and they're, I don't really want to waste a, a lot of our precious time because you can go out and you can read. Uh, there are people that have had jobs for nearly as long as I've been alive that have quit their job over this. Uh, you can go to Steve Tilford's blog. Um, I don't know the exact web address, but he did an interview with the gentleman that quit Bike Mag over e-bikes. Uh, fuck e-bikes. Fuck them really hard. Fuck them right in the ass. Fuck them in the ear. E-bikes are awful. They're stupid. If you like them and you stop listening to my show or the show that I'm on because of that, I don't care. You're probably a bad person if you ride your e-bike, which is motorized. It has a fucking motor in it that helps you go faster. If you ride your e-bike on a trail that is made for fucking mountain bikes, or you ride your e-bike on a paved path that is supposed to be free of motorized vehicles where children can walk beside their parents pushing strollers full of puppies, you're a dick, you're an asshole, and I hope your e-bike catches on fire and burns your nutsack off. So, All right. I haven't had a rant in a long time. I feel like that's a really good one. I think that there's a lot of things that me... What are you talking about? You just had a rant like three seconds ago before the show. <laughs> well, on the show. Completely not <laughs> On the show, ranting has been greatly reduced. Um, but, no, I really think that e-bikes are awful. Um, I feel like as someone who is is decently fit, accessing places and getting places on my bicycle is a is something that is a privilege and an earned thing. It's not a right. So if you're too out of shape to make it up the hill to the badass overlook, you don't get the good scenery. And if you can't make it all the way to the end of the paved path to look at the river, you don't get to see the river. You get to ride the next day and try to go two more stoplights down the paved path. And then a week from now, you maybe go another stoplight. And then you're really sore so you don't go very far. And you earn the right to see the river. You earn the right to see the good scenery. If you spend a bunch of money on an e-bike and you ride your fat ass up the hill, you're never going to get in shape. You're never going to appreciate nature. You're never going to end up on the side of the trail shattered, nearly feeling like you're dying, and stuffing beef jerky in your face, hoping you come around so you can be smart enough to ride back down this hill. It, those are the things that you have to earn, and, and e-bikes take that away, and it is going to ruin the cycling privilege. Also, they're really dangerous because they're built with a bunch of bike parts. So... That's all I have to say about it. If no one else has anything to say, I don't care. We could move on. I just wanted to say that that was a glorious rant. Um, it is very true. We did it like when Matt said he wanted to, to rant about e-bikes at the beginning of the show. I did want to say that I'm adding. I'm not talking about, or at least I'm not, and I think Matt agrees with me. We E-bikes on the road aren't really for us. I think from a commuting standpoint, there's a lot of validity. I yeah, think, I think yeah. I mean, if you're going to ride them, it's just, it's e-bikes in places they, they where it says... make a ton of sense. Yeah, when it, when it says no motorized vehicles on whatever yes. path, paved or unpaved you're following... I agree with that. E-bikes there, fuck that. Well, yeah, you shouldn't be out there on your Segway. You shouldn't be out yeah. there on your golf yeah. cart. And We're you talking be out about e-bikes. E yeah, like Matt, Matt's rant, just to put it into perspective, is not about riding an e-bike on roads where motorized vehicles are yes. legal. No, that's where, totally I'm, cool. where I'm seeing e-bikes are like, as a commuter device, and I've ridden one around, they're like really cool. Yeah, yeah, they are, and I rode one on an interbike, and because I think they are cool. it's efficient as far as like resources go, and the I understand there's batteries and all that bad stuff, but as far as getting cars off the road and not burning, uh, not burning fuel, they're a lot better than driving a car. Yeah, And totally. you get somebody at least out and you're still working a little bit. They don't just drive themselves. You still do have to pedal a little bit. But I think from the commuting standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. You can go a lot further. Um, you're not going to arrive as sweaty. And I mean, I think there's merits to them. 
from a commuting standpoint. So I have no problem with the commuter e-bike thing because at that point it might as well be a scooter. It's like and I don't cares? and I don't either because I, there's a lot of days that I could make my 15 minute, 20 minute commute to work. If I had an e-bike, I would arrive just like you said. I could get to work in the morning easy enough that I wouldn't I wouldn't have to change clothes. I could ride to work on the way home. I'd probably end up like if I had to guess, I would I would still wear shorts on the way home, but just like shorts, not like cycling clothes. But anyways, I mean that's we all are in agreement. But true. And my my viewpoint on that is truly, if they weren't as expensive as they are for a quality one, and I don't want one unless it's quality, I would own one. Like I think they're that cool from a commuting standpoint. But I don't want to drop three or four thousand dollars to get one that's halfway decent. Because you could get like because a, I, 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 there's other things that I want to do. I mean, I, honestly, I'd rather buy like you know a secondhand you know Gixxer 600 or something. Or no, even <laughs> at that point, at, at a three thousand dollar price point, you can buy a Honda Grom, which is 125 cc. Yeah, exactly. Fully street legal motorcycle. So from a truly commuting standpoint, I'd rather have a hundred dollar bar bike or a three thousand dollar true motor vehicle than have a three thousand dollar half ass motor vehicle. So anyway, that's uh, that's how it is. Yeah. So, that was a good rant, though. That's yeah. They, and the, I, and I'd like to add that the companies who are making things that are a mountain bike frame, fork, suspension, parts, all of that that are it's made to be an off-road cycle, and putting an electric motor, elect an e-assist motor on that. Fuck you guys. You and guys. Everybody. You guys are going to to lose trail access and at least one place and that is one too many like someone is going to purchase and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna just because it's the last one i saw no it doesn't matter don't name any it. any company if you purchase that company's that company knows that people are going to buy that bike and they're going to go ride their local trail on it and at some trail people mountain bikes are going to lose access as a result of that i'm just going to call it now and say that it's going to happen because you're going to have someone that is going way too fast. Um, just, I mean, just way too fast. Uh, you know, it's it's already a problem on a lot of busy urban trails where you have mountain bikers who go, you know, who are just going traveling fast. It may not even be like full on like cross country pace or something, but you have other trail users, and you have it's going to increase the number of run-ins with other trail users, and it's going to reach a tipping point and mountain bikers are going to lose access to a trail because of it. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan just got a bug with the electric bug zapper. So was so. that your finger or something else? Alright, cool. So now that we have that done, um let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Um we are going to talk about Art Nellett. Let's start with this guy first. Uh because this is the thing that we were talking about before the show started. And uh, let's go ahead. Is this our email question? Get this over. It's an email question that only came to me. Okay. Um. So there we go. Art Nellet is going to get a specialized Diverge, which, if you're not familiar with it, it is the new bike that is a gravel bike. It's carbon fiber. It holds like 700 by 40 tires. Uh. I mean, it comes with 32s, but I think that it will hold like a, a 40, no problem. Um, and he is asking what, he sent me an email asking about wheels, and he sent me his uh, telephone number. So I called last week, and we had a conversation for, I don't know, five or ten minutes at least, and we talked about what he had, we talked about his other bikes, we talked about a couple of things, and 
it I was going to try to get some info and I wasn't able to track this down about putting a Rode 11 speed free hub onto an i9 torch wheel. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I get what you're saying. So disc brake, you, you use their mountain bike disc brake hub with a Rode 11 speed free hub and then 142 by 12 axles and do they okay, never mind. I wasn't able to find out that would work. And then run those wheels on both his Specialized Diverge and his Specialized Stump Jumper Hardtail. Uh, but I wasn't able to find out if that would work. Also, it came to light that the Diverge is 142 by 12, and they don't like, they being the big red S, does not like the chain line. So what they've done is they've built custom wheels for this bike that follow a more traditional hub flange spacing. So the cassette doesn't get moved outboard. Just a minute, compared to the center line of a current 130 spacing, the cassette is in the same place in space. They're just, the axle nubs come out further out of either end, basically, is what you're looking at. Right, which is completely backwards of the reason to go wider, because you want to space the flanges wider to get bigger bracing angles. Yes, that is true. So. It seems like what Specialized ended up doing here was taking something and they built a bunch of molds and got these bikes built and then they shit in their pants and realized that it didn't shift worth a crap. And they ended up making some wheels that are designed inboard with a special derailleur hanger that matches it that's designed inboard, 2.5 millimeters, in order to work better shifting. and. That all seems like a lot of hocus-pocus to me. Um, I mean, Kenny already that said... That sounds like one of those things that on the next version of that bike is going to be fixed. I mean, it works. They they solved a problem that, like, didn't really exist. I mean, yes, is the 12 by 142 through axle. But, I mean, really, the only thing you're getting out of that bike that I can see is the fact that it's a through axle. You don't get the other advantages like the nice, the wider hub spacing and all that kind of stuff. Now, granted, if we're going to talk about hub spacing for a second, just in case anybody really cares and you want to get really nerdy, um, 135 mil flange spacing and 142 mil flange spacing on the same manufacturer's hub is going to be the same. 142 axles, the hub itself, the hub itself, like the flanges, don't sit out any wider. So you don't get any advantages there. It's wider because it has to tuck into the frame. That's it. So, anyway. I mean, we can go on this tangent a little bit later, but I would like to see manufacturers make more of an effort to make a wider axle in general, like a truly wider hub flange. Like a 150. A 150. I think on mountain bikes, for example, it should be a 150. I thought, who's making a wider one? I mean, the down, downhill guys have been using the 150 standard forever. Yeah. Um, it just makes a stronger wheel. Everything about it just makes sense, and I wish they would do that. Yeah, weight and what other people... A tiny, tiny bit so of weight. And, and, yeah. So, but we, we can talk about that later. That's not really that important. I just don't really like it because it just makes it hard. I mean, I would love for... It sounds like if... Art were to put normal 142 by 12 rear end parts on his bike, then he would have subpar shifting. I think everything would work very well 
with the exception of what we talked about earlier, which is going to be his little, little combination. In which that, would be? In that most extreme cross chain, it's probably going to make either a lot of noise or it's going to want to shift up on him. Shift up meaning what we're talking about is when you're in like the 34 tooth chain ring in the front and the 11 tooth in the back, the chain will be rubbing on the 46 or 50, whatever your big ring is in the front. The chain will be at such an angle that the shift assist nubbins on the chain ring will be grabbing at the chain and you'll hear it. Yeah. And if it's extreme enough, it'll actually shift up. I think my I think that my Evo actually would try to shift up. Like it, it was pretty extreme. Um, oh, that's the cat. <laughs> there was like something rubbing on my shin and I'm like the f <laughs> Kenny's sitting across from me instead of next to me I'm messing everyone's mojo up you are like I'm I'm thinking the playing it was Put, a cat. pussy with Andrea and Matt's just really nervous over here because I can see what he's looking at <laughs> Facebook um yeah let's so let's keep going with this guy it was a really interesting topic that Matt brought up actually the more I think about it I never really thought it all the way through why road bikes aren't using a 142 standard, especially, you know, with all the cyclocross bikes coming out. I think it makes a lot of sense to do it. Just because they've because always I, been 130. I know. Because I like the standard on the mountain bike just because it's a nice, solid platform. It's not particularly heavy. Like, I don't have any problems with 12 by 142 on the mountain bike. So why not move it but over? Well, I think on a road bike, it's just not... It's not necessary in a couple of ways. On a, on a normal road bike... For a rim brake bike, I totally agree. But disc brakes, I think you really can... Maybe, you but can then you get, the into that, you get into that question of, can it be too stiff? So with a cross bike and with a road bike both, how much giant or 12 millimeter axle do you actually want back there? No, and it's a valid point. I mean, it, that's, it, it's a valid point. Too stiff can be a bad thing. Yeah. But anyway, from a from a chain line standpoint, uh, I never really thought about why if you couldn't just take a current, if you built a frame, a road frame, based around a 142 through axle, and then you just bolted the wheel on, what would happen? And I just didn't think it all the way through. I'd be like, on the surface, yeah, that should work just fine, right? But what Matt was saying is that it's possible in your little little combination just having to do with how tight all the tolerances are on front derailers and crank sets and everything on the road standard side of things, that in that little, little combination, your chain's going to rub the inside of your big ring and might either make noise and be annoying or, in the worst case, shift up on you. So that would be a really bad surprise. You shift down to your smallest cog in the back, and all of a sudden, your chain shifts to the big ring, or tries to. And it probably won't because the derailleur's not moved, but it'll at least get funky. It'll make a bunch of noise. And to finish, or not finish, it doesn't matter, y'all. Uh, anyway, what I run into is I don't notice when I'm cross-chaining because of noise. Uh, I don't cross-chain the front up on, like, the big, big. I just don't. Um, I, for whatever reason, I usually keep that... I know when I'm slowing down, and I, I'm very good about shifting to the little ring ahead of time, because on the road, I really like keeping a nicer cadence. I mean, I'm not like Chris Froome or anything. I can do a good Chris Froome, but I'm not Chris Froome. Matt does a really fine Chris Froome impersonation on his bike. You should see it sometime. <laughs> Maybe we'll record it uh, this week and, and get it on the internet. Um, yeah. But what I wanted to say is, when 
I realize I'm cross-chaining as I'm riding in the, I have a 3852 in the front, 1125 in the back, and I'm riding in the 38, and I'm usually just cruising, and I'll shift down, I'll shift down, and I'll shift to the 11, not really realizing I've already made it that far down, and when I'm in that easy pedaling, just sort of probably, I don't know, like 100 and 150 watts, like rolling, just kind of pedaling, making this motion with my hands, like you're just sort of turning your feet over. Um, it will, when it shifts to the 11, when the chain is dropping outboard and it's under really no tension, it will grab the shift ramp, try to pull up in the front and then slam down onto the 38 again. So yeah. I am getting almost miss shifts, even with a 130 rear spacing on my CAD 10. Yeah. So just keep that in mind that as you move things out, further, you're only going to amplify that problem more and more. And I also think there's probably there's probably some situations where it might work. Like a 12 by 142 setup with the road cranks and everything may actually just work. If you have the right combination are of there any other cross and front derailleurs. That are doing that? Is that the only cross bike right now that is doing the 142 by 12 rear end? I don't know. The only... <laughs> well, the only thing I have with that is I don't think that I don't think you're going to see it really works because you're you're going to rub something. I mean, they've already moved the front derailleur. They have redesigned front derailleurs in a way so you don't need to trim them, and they've done that by making front derailleurs used to be very straight. Like the inside was very straight, and then the outside plate of the front derailleur was very straight, and they ran in line with the chain rings straight, so they were parallel and they ran parallel to the chain rings. And the when tram you, changed it. And well, then no, what I was going to say, though, is, so when you started to cross-chain, you were rubbing on the derailleur itself. Yeah. Now they've manipulated these front derailleurs to a point where only the part that shifts the front is, like, from little to big, it kind of, like, sticks out from the inside, so it pushes up on it some. And then the part that shifts down from big to little, it sticks in some. And the derailleur is manipulated in a way to help it not rub as much, but we're to the point where we're rubbing on the chain ring. And the chain rings can't get spaced further apart because then you'll you'll end up in neutral. So I don't really know how you could get this perfect setup unless it was something like Specialized is doing, which is cheating the You the, can always make the bottom bracket make a new bottom bracket. Combine the uh the new Cannondale bottom bracket standard that's wider to move the chain ring further apart. <laughs> To move the chain rings further outboard. I hate everyone. <laughs> so that's what they would have to do. Is they would have to use. Oh hold man! On, hold I on. just gave them. A, I, I just gave them a good idea. It's. It would be pushing the bottom bracket outboard. Well, a big problem you're going to have though is. Is heel clearance on the on the crank arm. Yeah, because people don't want a wider Q-factor. Right, so if, if you, you try to move... Sneak, if you could sneak mountain bike Q-factor cranks... The on, world would... The inter, literally, weight weenies for them would catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> like if you had it open on your computer, your computer would just start... No, flaming. the internet would catch on fire. <laughs> the internet itself would catch on fire. Um, so oh, I love a wide Q-Vector. For art, I don't really know what to tell you. It sounds like you need to use those special uh, specialized wheels, the 
Will, you sent me the, I think I had them open. I, I've lost that page now. But the, uh, come on. I, I don't know what happened to it. Um, the, the the wheels that are designed for your bike are probably going to be the ones that work best on your bike. I mean, I, I hate to be like that. It would be really cool if you could run some Knox wheels or something similar on there, but I just don't see the shifting. I don't. I've never laid my hands on it because this is brand new stuff, and I would just hate to tell you to get something then it not work out. Unless you want to buy them, try them, report back. If you don't like the way they work. You put them on your mountain bike, and then you buy these wheels for your cross bike. I can bike. pretty much guarantee that it's going to work, with the exception of the possibility of little little not working. Yeah, but that's that's not working for some people. It depends it out, on what you're talking about. Not working is. I'm just putting it out there that it may. I can pretty much guarantee it will work if you don't use little little, and it might still even work if you use little little. I just haven't seen it in person. And unfortunately, everyone's going to be, we're talking about such tight tolerances here, because I've seen road bikes, brand new, off the shelf, with brand new 2014 stuff, where some setups rub that, you know, if you're a little little, it actually tries to catch on the big chainring in yeah. the front, and others don't. Like mine doesn't, for whatever reason, with 11-speed Altegra on a Cannondale CAD 10. So, I don't know. With FSA BB30. Exactly. And mine is 10-speed trim red, with a 10-speed quark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's let's see. So the next one is going to be Spencer Warabeck. Let me pull his question up. He sent us an email. Hopefully this is going to the right email, but here goes. Well, Spencer, we got it. You typed in the email, um, and listeners out there in listener land, if you have any questions now, any feedback, any comments, good or bad, just know that uh, if you are a troll, we will happily put you on your e-bike and let you ride off under a bridge. So you can send them. We won't answer them. But if you have good questions and you know what good and bad is, you understand the world, Send them over. You can email them to ben at mountainbikeradio.com. You could try info at mountainbikeradio.com. There is Andrea at mountainbikeradio.com. Matt at mountainbikeradio.com. Uh, no, 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 it's just full face. Kenny. Full face Kenny at mountainbikeradio.com. That's that's Kenny's Twitter that we made for him. Is no full face um, Kenny. You can also, you could. Yeah, you can email any of those, and you can send our questions in. You can find us on Facebook and ask your questions. That's really easy. You just go to the Mountain Bike Radio page, like it. You can find us there. If for some reason you can't, Ben can always tag us in things that we need to be uh, keyed into. Um, so, Or you can go to BrickHouseRacing.com and read my blog and comment on something. Exactly. So <laughs> Spencer's question is, if I had $2,000 to spend on a full suspension bike <clears throat> all in one, it, he didn't say he'd be bringing all ones to the bike shop. Oh, okay. Would I be wiser to buy an older bike with higher-end components, a slightly newer bike with mid-range components, or a brand-new bike with a decent frame and low-end components? Definitely not the third one. Hold on. To elaborate, what is the tipping point between these three options from a technology standpoint, maybe the transition from single-pivot to multi-pivot, or to multi-link systems, uh, wherein you'd probably want to stay from single-pivot because they're comparatively primitive? Perhaps a formerly state-of-the-art 26-inch bike would be the sweet spot. Although I must say that during the heyday of 26-inch bikes, a lot of manufacturers seem to have really weird rear shock setups, 
such as a brain, a pull-through shock, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks, Spencer. Um, so let's start with the first one. An older, higher-end, an older bike with higher-end components. No. The suspension sucks. The suspension's worn out. The suspension on the front's also worn out. There's probably pivot parts worn out. And even if it isn't worn out, it's older. So the technology in that suspension that is on that bike when you, is let's, awful. Let's operationally define older. Like 2006 okay. Trek Fuel EX. Or it, like that and earlier, just stay away from it. Yes. Okay. Or even 2008. Well, yeah, because I'm just looking at this, and if for whatever reason you're able to buy like a Niner Jet 9 for 2000 or a, a Santa Cruz something or other aluminum tall boy or something for 2000 or what other bikes that I would buy. Yeah, I mean, well, I, just well, wanted to, I just wanted to say like oh, he didn't specify a year, um, and I would consider like a Jet 9 to be a slightly newer bike. Yeah, yeah. So um, the slightly newer bike with mid-range components. Um, yeah, that would be the option that I would personally go for. But if it's a newer bike with mid-range components for $2,000, something's wrong. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if I, I'm seeing, like, a... All right, let's just look at the one of the jets, because I just know them. That's why I'm saying it. Um, if you look at a current aluminum Jet 9 Complete, the cheapest one you can buy is $3,100. It comes with Dior. It's got a nice suspension, front and rear, but it's got pretty basic components. It does have tubeless wheels, but it's $3,000. So if you can buy one that's a year old for $2,000, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I mean, look, the, the I'm stuff not saying that you, you can't find a better deal. The stuff that you want to look for, um, you definitely want um, a decent suspension. Don't get something that has, like, a dart fork on it or something like that. Look for a decent suspension and tubeless wheels and just something that's not clapped out pretty much. Yeah, so in my opinion, the important things on a bike are, number one, first and foremost, it fits you. If it doesn't fit you, I don't care what the hell it is, it's stupid. <laughs> so it needs to fit you properly. Number two, the suspension front and rear needs to be good and set up correctly. Um, and I mean like quality stuff. So in the RockShox world, roughly a Recon 32 or higher. In the Fox world, well, I guess anything would be okay. Yeah, uh, Fox doesn't really make low-end They don't really make low-end stuff. Um, so that's that. Uh, my next would be you need to set a tubeless wheels. If you don't have tubeless wheels, that's just stupid. Um, and then you need to have that's stupid with a T. Yep. And then you need to have quality brakes. I don't care who makes them. It's probably going to be Shimano. Um, but get quality brakes. Everything else doesn't matter. I don't care how many speeds the bike has. Speeds the bike has. What kind of bars and posts and all that kind of crap it has. That all. And that matter. stuff is relatively inexpensive to upgrade, like a piece at a time. But the yeah. wheels and the shocks, that stuff can get expensive. Yeah. So go for something that's got tubeless wheels and, yeah, like decent uh, shocks on it. So what I'm know. saying is, don't be worried if a bike's got everything that's really nice and then it's got a Dior rear derailleur or like a Dior shifter. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, it absolutely doesn't matter. Cause as long as it's nine speed, at least. Yeah, it, honestly, it's probably going to work just fine. Um, it may be a little on the heavy side, but that just doesn't matter. From the riding quality of a bike, a rear derailleur, for example, is like the last thing that matters. 
It just it just is. And for some reason, people are obsessed with rear derailers. <laughs> well, it's out there. You see it. I mean, people, I guess so. And people will spend, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, like, an XTR rear derailleur. I mean, that's but what people, you use, right? Yeah, it's great. It works fine. But, you know, people will go out of their way to get rid of their Dior 10-speed derailleur, that Shadow Plus, to get an XTR 10-speed Shadow Plus rear derailleur. And you likely can't tell a huge difference. No, if you were blindfolded and you were shifting the bike, you wouldn't freaking know. So anyway, it's just a weight thing and and possibly a longevity thing. So the little ancillary parts, derailleurs, shifters, um, you know, the the cranks and the bar and post and stem, and that that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, that's stuff that you can upgrade in like a couple of paychecks if you want to. Um, Yep. You know, but the rest of it, like a, a new a, a new shock, like a new front fork, or yeah, a new fork is going to be that's that's pretty expensive, like five hundred. That's holding yeah. up five fingers. If you're going to buy a new decent aftermarket fork for five hundred bucks, just minimum. Easily, minimum. like that's yeah, that's minimum. I mean, you can spend well more than that. You know, in a that wasn't as good of a snap as I was hoping. Do not, do not, for the love of God, get on eBay and buy a second-hand box fork because <laughs> it is going to be clapped out. One in, like, 37,000 are going to be okay, and that's it. And Kenny has run those statistics, and that is a that is a true number. It is it is super accurate. <laughs> right. so, because the thing is, the resale on those box forks are insane. Like, just completely ludicrous. Nobody has, like, run the numbers on it, and it's... It, it's insane. It makes no sense to me that you can buy, people will pay for a two-year-old fox that has like worn out sanctions and bushings and everything under the sun. Some like guy, some guy will pay 300 to $400 for that fork. And it's a paperweight. And it blows my mind. Like people are <laughs> blinded by the fact that they're getting a half-price fox. Yeah. And it's, anyway, just and please the, don't be that guy. The moral of the story is you're getting a half-price fox. Please don't be that guy because you know what I tell all my customers that have fox stuff that's damaged? I say sell it on eBay and even be honest about it. Be yeah. Like, it's worn out. People and people will, will pay three to $400 for it. It's insane. So don't be that guy. Don't. I mean, that's what, I mean, even a, a new one on eBay will go for close to retail. Yes. <clears throat> it's right because it's free. Ryan had that. Ryan got a Jet 9 Carbon. A year and a half ago, yeah. so it was, in December it'll be a two-year-old bike, and he he got it. The bike came stock with a 100 millimeter fork at that time, and he wanted the 95 120 adjustable talus. So when the bike came in, it was never the fork was never put in the frame, and it went on eBay for like damn near full-blown retail. I mean, yeah. It was in like OEM packaging, like we stripped it out of the packaging to take pictures of it and put it on eBay, and it sold for like a stupid amount of money. So people um, do it. But so Spencer, uh, let's let's go ahead and finish this one up because it, uh, don't get the decent frame with low end components. There is no such thing as a decent frame with low end components for two thousand dollars. That bike is going to be a if it's a full suspension a bike third. for two thousand dollars, it's a that's total a, a boat anchor of crap. You're buying a $2,000 thing you could tie a rope to and keep your stand-up paddleboard in place while you do yoga on it. There's always going to be, in my experience, there still is at least one giant compromise, usually two or three, on that price point brand new. And it's going to be... And I I wish it wasn't that way because, I mean, I'm a bike shop and I try to sell that stuff to people. Um, well, not, I don't try to sell $2,000. You know, some people some people come into the shop. You have to have that bike in the shop. I know. Some people walk in and they're like, 
I have to have a full suspension bike, and I only have $1,800. So I have, for example, in that price point, I have the Cannondale Rush 29-1. It's $2,000 even. Um, it does have an air-sprung front fork. It's like a, I think it's a Recon. It might even be larger. Or is it an RST? I don't even, no, it's not an RST. It's actually a RockShox, and it's actually air-sprung. Um, some of the glaring downfalls are, just in general, it's a, I mean, little, it's a little heavy. Weighs 30-something pounds. The other downside is non-tubeless wheels, and it just, that sucks. And and not even good non-tubeless The other downside is the frame, like, the suspension design is like, eh, it's mediocre. It's, just, it's pretty much a single pivot. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basic at best, and it's got a really cheesy rear shock on it. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to... At some point, you're going to take a major hit buying that $2,000 bike. Like you would be well worth it to just wait a little bit where you can spend $3,000, and then you can get a bike where you literally do not have to change anything. Yeah. So. There you go. That was a uh, – I think you should be happy with that answer. Cool. So I did already email him a link, and I'm sure someone out there in listener land is forecasting what I'm about to tell Spencer to do. But he he needs to go to his local specialized dealer, and he needs to swat that mosquito that's flying around our kitchen. <laughs> um, I sent him a link to it for those of you out there in listener land. If you wanted to go to bikes or specialized.com, go to bikes, go to the uh, mountain bikes. They have a Crave Expert. 29. It's a hardtail. I thought he wanted a full suspension bike. Uh, hold on. I was going to say, I know he asked for full suspension, but if he gets disgruntled in his search, um, this is the bike that I would recommend. It's $1,800, so $2,000 with tax. It has wheels that should set up tubeless, no problem. It has a Riva fork. It has Dior brakes. It has an XT shadow rear derailleur and a 2x10 or 2 uh, chainring setup in the front. Um, it's pretty much a a slightly cheaper version of what I've been racing all year. So I don't think that you can go wrong with that bike. Um, I, I see that as a great bike and something that I can tell you your $2,000 will be well spent. Um, that is, that's a solid build. Now if you are, like Andrea said, and you just really have to have a full suspension bike, um, I promise, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm sorry. I can't personally recommend a bike that will let me go to sleep tonight because in yeah, my there, opinion... Yeah, there are no new ones There that are we would, no that we would new recommend. bikes. Well, no, that are worth a shit for that price. But not even that, but at $2,000, it's such a crapshoot on is this bike clapped out? Is anything nice? Is anything good? You know, if you're not intimate with the bike and intimate with the seller, it's going to be really hard to know you're getting a bike that's worth $2,000. So. Yeah, and you're looking at, if you buy a, a used full suspension bike, you're looking at maybe replacing some of the pivot bearings, um, doing some service on the fork and on the shock. I mean, you know, it may take a little bit of work for that. And do yourself a favor. If you're going to buy a bike and it is local, ask the seller to meet at a bike shop and tell the bike shop ahead of time that you want to be there and that you want them to look a bike over from top to bottom and tell you everything that it needs. Because you might get lucky and you might get a bike that is in great shape and maybe needs like a tire or something like that. Or you might get a bike that needs front and rear suspension wiper seals replaced and the chain rings are worn out, cassettes worn out, chains worn out, tires are worn out. Cables and housings need to be redone and it's got like a bent derailleur hanger. Or one of the one of the 
pivot bearings has been bad for so long that the pivot has been the pivot is now wallowed out and yeah. the frame and needs, the frame is trash. You need a new swing arm. So there's all kinds of things. I mean, I don't want to like scare you about a used bike, but I mean, you need to know. You need to know. Yeah. So yeah, take your bike shop a good tip of some sort. Um, either you know not cheap beer or baked goods or. Uh, you know, maybe a twenty dollar bill left on the counter or something, and be like, "Hey, check this over for me." Yeah, and just be prepared that if you're going to buy a bike sight unseen, and it looks good in the pictures, just be prepared that it might. I don't see it. it might being, be a money. Pay. I don't see it astronomical that it could cost five hundred dollars to put into a two thousand dollar used twenty nine. That's not that crazy. Nope, I mean, not at all. You know, like a new set of tires. One hundred and fifty dollar labor bill, two tires. Chainring cassette. I mean, easy. You could totally, you could totally spend five hundred. So don't be like shocked that to get a bike in new working order, that you got to spend five hundred bucks, even if it's a year old, because if someone never replaced a chain on it because they didn't know any better, or it could have a shock that looks like mine. Yeah, or they, you know, they raced fool's gold when it was raining or something, or um, then the bike's a complete write-off. So I mean, that's why I really lean towards putting you on the hardtail. If you think I'm an idiot and I can't read your question, I'm sorry, but that's why we give you such a good long answer and give you this. Um, All right, we've talked about that enough. I'm done. So next thing on the list, uh, Ben Wellnack, the creator and owner and all-around hoss boss man in charge of Mountain Bike Radio, wanted to throw it out there that he loves every single detail about his. Salsa El Mariachi steel bike, except for how much it weighs. And Ben really wants an El Mariachi tie. What are your thoughts on that? If the yeah. El Mariachi tie is exactly the same geometry-wise and all the little tidbits and derailleur hangers and whatever other standards are on it, if it's the exact same, then, like, yeah, go for it. Tie's awesome. Yeah. I have no problem with that. It's expensive. about the only downside. Well, I mean, obviously, Andrea likes Ty. She has two Ty bikes. Yeah, I like it. I, I think Ty is pretty sweet. Oh, it rides nice. It, it lets you, I mean, I don't know how the, I've, I've never ridden a Salsa Ty bike, so I can't speak for them, but at least for mine, uh, especially with my road bike, I know that the titanium allows you to make a very stiff frame, but that is also very comfortable as well. Um, so that's, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. So what is so Ben's looking for a tie bike to purchase, right? Uh I'm not really sure. You you send that one over to me. Yeah, I wrote that on my list. He he had put on Facebook, I think either Facebook or Twitter, I don't remember which one, um, that he is looking for a large salsa tie El Mariachi. Oh, uh, I didn't realize he was looking for one. I thought it was just a general statement about like he really likes the ride of real metal bikes and he wanted a tie one. Oh, so well, yeah, yeah, he's a, yeah, if you're he's, out there in listener land. I think he just wants one. So if you work yeah. at like Salsa and you got one like sitting in the back that you want to sell them like super cheap through a local bike shop, like we can do that. Or if <laughs> you have one hanging in your garage and you haven't ridden in a while because you got that new full suspension horse thief or something and you're really digging the. Yeah, he says in search of large Salsa titanium El Mariachi frame, anyone selling. So if you have one of those that's just been hanging in your garage and you're not going to come back around to it, I guarantee you that Ben Wellnack will give you two mountain bike radio kits, a year of mountain bike radio uh, membership, 
he will send you some stickers, and he will have someone local deliver a pizza to your house for that prank. <laughs> I don't know what his uh, going price is, but I can guarantee you. And I think that he will also personally bail you out of jail one time. I don't think he'll do that. Anywhere in the United States. I don't think he'll do that. He will not pay for your bailout, but he will physically bail you out of jail. I don't think You mean break you out? Like he's going to come in and like shoot the place up and like grab you and run? I think that I'm just saying that he would be willing to drive anywhere in the United States to pick you up from from jail. I don't think so. In exchange for a free El Mariachi? No, that's part of the package that Matt already mentioned. Okay. For a free, assuming that the frame is for free. Okay. He will, well, do, he will do all these. I think. Things. I think the the bike would have to be a complete bike with carbon wheels to get the jail deal out of it. No, because the thing about that is, he, you might not have to use it. These other things you actually get. But the jail <laughs> thing is kind of like this wild card. They might need it. They might not. And they get, you know, which it is within one year. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So that's that. So if you've got one of these things in your garage and you don't mind getting all the other things we just mentioned, and like, then, and then you're two, also thinking like two full mountain bike radio kits, a year's worth of mountain bike radio membership, some stickers, and he will call and order a pizza for you at your favorite pizza place and have it delivered to your house. And then in, in exchange for a complete El Mariachi. Frame, just yeah. the frame. Oh, just frame and fork? No, just the frame. I'd say frame. And then if you've been thinking about everything else, he, he already is. has an Elmarashi steel. Come on, we're trying to build an elk. And, right. and if you've been thinking about doing that thing that's like borderline legally kind of sketchy, then maybe you can do it, and then he'll be out of jail. Maybe, yeah. maybe he'll be out of jail. Yeah. So that's only a complete bike. All right. So with carbon wheels. Okay, keep going. So it's Chris Cooper from Facebook. Wants to know about general cyclocross bike setup. Higher um, choice. Well, he said general setup. So I would say start close to your road bike, a little higher in the front, a yeah, little like closer as far as, in as far the front. As fit goes. And I would make it match your road bike in every other way possible. So I'd run the same shifters, I'd run the same bar width, I'd run the same seat. Um, I would, I would make it a lot like your road bike, and then from there... Uh, you can tweak a little. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I would, but I would, I mean, you don't want to have, like, like, if you're just building a bike, you should build it close. You shouldn't yeah. run, like, a 40-centimeter wide bar on one bike and a 46 on the other bike. Some people run a wider bar in cyclocross because they're not, their reasoning is they're not worried about being aero, and, you know, my cats are going... Um, they're not worried about being aero, and they want more leverage. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's... Cool story, bro. You pedal with your legs. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of whatever you're comfortable on. I mean, I just... Just start with what's on your road bike, unless what's on your road bike is really ridiculous. I would recommend not using carbon bars on your cyclocross bike. I do love them on my road bike, and I think I would use them on... If I had a dedicated gravel bike, I would use carbon bars on that. I know, I I feel a little nauseous just saying that. But if I had a bike that I only rode on, or if I rode 99% of the time on gravel roads and nothing else, um, carbon bars would be very nice in that situation. I have seen too many at cyclocross races where people are riding in the drops and pedaling really hard and just hit a root or some kind of a 
like drop off a curb or just something like that and they snap the bar at the shifter. Like right where it clamps on the shifter, they snap it. Ryan had one I've seen. The only time I've ever seen broken carbon bars outside of a catastrophic road wreck were at cyclocross races. Pretty much just like JRA simple wrecks and giant bumps and stuff, like carbon bars breaking. So I just I just wouldn't use one on a cyclocross bike. Um, I like what? So Ryan is chiming in from the other room. There was a telephone pole as a barrier, and he dismounted too late, and and I quote fucking stacked it into the telephone pole, and then later in the race. Yeah, and then later in the race, it broke off. And it was just like dangling from the tape. That was not the area. No, I didn't know it was so later, but that's not the story. Anyways, um, as far as tires, everything has to be tubeless. Everything has to be tubeless. There's no ghetto tubeless in cyclocross, or your face is going to touch the ground, you're going to die. Don't do it. Yeah, so use run, tubeless tires. It's run, not like. No, run tubeless tires on tubeless rims. Yeah. Don't use. Stands, rubber strip, conversion, bullcrap. Run real tubeless stuff. If you think that you don't have the money for it, race tubes. If you can't race tubes, don't race. Save up the money that you would spend racing this year. Buy some real shit to race and race next year. Because it could be a situation like when when people first started putting tubeless or trying to convert cyclocross tires to tubeless, Ryan and I both did the ghetto tubeless thing. We went to Cyclocross Nationals. I guess this was 2009. Yeah. Or 2000, late 2008, early... It was late 2008 Nationals. And Ryan... We spent all the money to go to Nationals and all that shit. Ryan burped his tire off, like, early in the race and got pulled. So there's your money for a real set. And, and at the time, you couldn't buy real tubeless stuff. I mean, it didn't exist. But now it exists, so don't cheap out. And I would like to add, in the latest issue of Cyclocross Magazine that just came in, um, we just got it in our mailbox today, they review um, some tubeless uh, wheels. The Shimano C24s that they kind of say suck, those are actually really good wheels. It's just that Shimano obviously didn't kick them like an extra bit of advertising money under the table like Stan's No Tubes did in this magazine. Um, it's really, it's 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 gross, actually. Like, it, it kind of, like, it made me kind of disgusted to read what they, like, their review of it, because I've had two, we, we've had two or three sets of those in the house. Two sets. They're super solid tubeless wheels. I mean, the tubeless tires that I've put on those, you have to use a large amount of force to take the tire off once it's seated. I mean, you could ride that flat on that wheel, and it is so solid. It doesn't. It just doesn't come off. And what they say about it not being that great for low pressure, that's just total bullshit. Because I've run 25 to 30 PSI in that all day, and it doesn't come off. It's solid. So the Cyclocross Magazine review of the Shimano C24 tubeless is total bullshit. Um, you know, that that is a really good wheel. It's a great road wheel. Um, it's pretty light. Um, it's solid. I mean, it's 
they stay true. I've ridden mine um, through multiple, like Southern Cross, the gravel grinder. I've used them on my cross bikes before I got tubulars. I mean, they're just, it's a great wheel set, and I would highly recommend it. And don't go off of what magazines say because they're totally biased by the advertising dollars. Um, so we can keep on going now that I've done my little rant for the night. You want to talk about uh, tires? Well, Philip Panny Pinto wanted to hear about CX tires a little bit. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're Use tubeless if you're going tubeless. I mean, Maxxis is prototyping to has been prototyping tubeless cyclocross tires. I rode them at Cross Vegas last year. So hopefully this year they're going to actually re actually release them. Um, they're great tires. I mean, they stay, they set up really well. Um, they get pretty good traction in everything except for like deep sand, which nothing gets great traction in that. But they're a little extra squirrely in sand. But other than that, they, they hook up real nice on most just about everything. Yep. Kenny doesn't have a favorite cyclocross tire because Kenny doesn't do cyclocross. My favorite cyclocross tire is 2.4 Ardent front and rear. <laughs> and I have raced that in a cyclocross race. You had a 2.4 rear? Mm-hmm. How? It didn't really fit. It rubbed a lot. <laughs> That's what she said. It made, it made a lot of noise. <laughs> it didn't fit in the back. It rubbed a lot. <laughs> This weekend, and I saw a guy. He had used double-sided tape to attach sandpaper to his chainstays, so he could run a Nard or a, a Surly Dirt Wizard 2.75 in the rear end of his bike, and the sandpaper was wearing the tires down, so they wouldn't run on the train. Oh, genius! I assume this is probably the guy who drove one of the two forklifts where you have like a forklift lifting another forklift to like get to something really high. <laughs> That's who had it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Oh, uh, I just wrote the guy's name down because I'm not going to... I mean, you know... He doesn't the, listen to this show. He might. He drives around in a car all day. Yeah. Maybe he does. It'll be funny. He drives around in like a little... uh a little rap transit all day, every day. Fixing copiers? Yeah, fixing uh, fixing things that make copies at the speed of, like, Nova. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Uh, what was I... I was just about to say... Oh, yeah, what I was going to finish on as far as cyclocross setups... Um, well, no, two things. One is, uh, you know, if you're looking to buy a cyclocross bike and you're looking at frame material... The taller you are, the less important the weight of the bike is. Because when you dismount and you jump over stuff and you have to lift the bike up, when you have to shoulder it and all that stuff, you don't have to lift it that far. So if you're either, you know, like real, just real big and strong and you can jump real high, if you're like an off-season track sprinter or something, the weight's not going to matter that much. Um, if you are generally on the shorter side as you know i'm five foot six on a good day on a tall low gravity day um <laughs> it you know it, it's definitely a little more important to go with something lighter because that's when you you have to lift the bike up the range of motion that you have to go through with your upper body to lift the bike off the ground and get it over a barrier 
um, the height of the barrier relative to your body is just bigger. So a lighter bike is very helpful in that situation. Um, you're definitely going to notice weight more in that situation. Um, whereas if you are mat sized and a barrier is more of a step than it is a jump, uh, having a 24 pound steel cyclocross bike wouldn't be well. Uh, that. Sorry. And another thing is that, like Andrea was saying, my range of motion is much different. So what you have to realize is for Andrea to go over a barrier, she has to grab the top tube of her bike with her hand, and she pulls the top tube up level with her breast. Right? Yeah, so like I can't, my bike has to go to the outside of my arm, because if it goes to the inside, the saddle could potentially hit me in the armpit. Right, so she's, and her seat isn't very high over her top tube because it's a cross bike with a very straight top tube for her shouldering. So you're looking at, like I was saying, and just to put it in perspective, it's like pulling your bike up level, your top tube is nearly in your armpit. Right. And Correct. for me to step over a barrier, I grab my top tube and I pull it up next to my, like I pull it up. You probably never even thought about what direction your bike, like, where your bike is in relation to your body because it just doesn't, your seat and your top tube don't contact your body. Well, no, I've often... What are those dogs with the really short legs? Dachshund? Yeah. <laughs> I've often thought about it like the... Corgi. I think that I've often been, or the reasoning was you keep your seat inside your elbow so you can control your bike. Yeah, I can't, I can't do that. But... If I do that, my seat hits me in the arm and it bruises me up really bad and, yeah, it's got to go to the outside. Right, so... You know, it's just a lot easier for someone really tall to, like she said, I just grab my bike by the top tube and sort of just lift it up about by my, like, liver. And that's, <laughs> that's all I have to do. Like the bottom of your rib cage, whereas exactly. I'm lifting it up. And it's even, you know, someone who's very, who's actually short. I mean, I'm not really, for a female, I'm not short. I mean, you know, 5'6 is average or maybe even like a quarter inch above average. Um you know, if you're like five four, you know five three or something, you you should make the lightest bike possible. Really, like if your if your wife is getting into cyclocross and you're going to buy her a bike, and she's real short, don't cheap out on it and don't get heavy stuff because she will likely dislike it and have a hard time. Um, the other thing, and this can kind of go into weight um, and tires and all that stuff we've talked about. If you're going to go all in with cyclocross, just go ahead and go um, carbon tubular. Just carbon wheels, tubular tires. If you're really serious about cyclocross, um, stick with the tubulars. I mean, they're a little bit more of a pain to deal with. A little bit. You know, they're, it's not... And if anyone out there wants to know my... And I, I'm not going to get into it because it'll take too long and we're running out of time. Um, if you want to know my gluing procedure for cyclocross tubulars that has resulted in no rolled tires since I started doing it. Um, what? We haven't rolled any. Maybe a flat and partial roll, but... There partial roll has happened. Like eight inches of one tire rolled off. My gluing procedure is sell tubulars by clinches. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know a very, very solid tubular gluing procedure, um, email me. Andrea at Mountain Bike Radio or Andrea at Brickhouse Racing, whatever, and I will clue you in on it. Um, 
But if you are really, if you're seriously going to race cyclocross, and I know there are professionals out there that are doing tubeless, especially since Stan's has the Valor wheels out now, and especially since mountain bike wheels are fitting more and more on cyclocross bikes with disc brakes, but really the lightest setup you're going to get is going to be a carbon tubular. That's just, that's how it is. The tubeless wheels will never be as light as tubulars. Right, it'd be like a Dura C24 tubular, which is like a 24 millimeter deep tubular with like an FMB or a Dugas yeah, on it. Tire. Tire on it, and it's just going to be... It's and, and the ride quality is phenomenal. You'll be running like 25 PSI or 23 PSI. Yeah, I mean, you can run mountain bike tire pressures. Um, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a better ride quality. It's just it's the best you can get, and if you're that serious about cyclocross, that's what you need to get. Phil also wanted lots of vapor trail talk. Um, anyone that wants to hear lots of vapor trail talk, you can just go to my blog, Breakhouse Racing. I'm going to post about my weekend in Arkansas where I did some training um, relevant to vapor trail. <laughs> Matt just sent a text message and is mouthing F-bombs over there. What do I need to do if I miss my second flight, which I probably did? Who? Uh, one of my employees. Oh, okay. Rent a car. See ya. Uh, when you leave Memphis and fly to Charlotte to go to New Mexico, renting a car isn't going to get you to New Mexico by in the morning. If I was a boss, I'd make you rent a car and teach you a lesson. <laughs> Start driving, bitch. <laughs> oh, man. Um, do we have more? We do. Uh, ben sent me a text message earlier and said you don't have to make it an hour, and now we're a full hour in. So we could probably wrap this up, and I can help this guy figure out how to get from Charlotte to New Mexico by 9 a.m. tomorrow. All right. So, um... Turn down for what? <clears throat> I didn't hit the button. It's okay. Ooh. Oh, my second flight boarded at 8.05, and it's now 8.31, and I'm still sitting in the first flight. <laughs> what ha like, how does that even happen? Because airlines treat people like cattle now. That's how that happens. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, well, this has been another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Pro Gold, Turn Down for What, and Pro Gold Again. Um, something, something very serious, uh, just as a, a quick... In note, Robin Williams apparently committed suicide today, so there's lots of suicide revenge stuff out there. If you know somebody, do something. Don't let that happen. Very good advice. 